Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today on 30 Minutes, a special rebroadcast from the 2014 Tucson Festival of Books. This is part two of a two-part series. Thank you for joining us. The presentations you see here are brought to you by Nuestras Raices, a Pima County Public Library program that builds community by celebrating Mexican-American authors, arts, and culture. The following presentation and all those at our tent are made possible by the generous support of the Friends of the Pima County Public Library. Our next, next presentation is Growing Up Latino in the United States Memoirs. Today you'll be listening to Reading Retablo's author Rigoberto Gonzalez and Walking Home, Growing Up Hispanic in Houston, author Sara Cortez. Read from their memoirs in both poetry and pose and discuss how writing chronicles cultural and spiritual heritages, identities, and personal journeys. And now I'd like to introduce you to the moderator for this presentation, Pima County Public Library's own Tony Weiner. I, I was amazed with both of your poetry uh, writings, H how beautiful um, the prose. I, I, you guys make it look so easy. I, I always thought, oh, to write about a life would seem like so boring, like this, but it's gorgeous. And I, I describe the non-poetry work, I say it's like reading poetry, um, mm -hmm. which I don't want to scare people off. I wouldn't want to scare off your audience. You're trying to reach now, but um, you make it look so easy. Is it easy for you? Um, did, you did it take you the 26 years? Do you edit a lot? Oh, I, I edit. It's nothing for me to edit a poem off and on for six or seven years before it's finalized. Wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, people, Not all the time. I know. People <laughs> are surprised by that. You know, like, well, Elizabeth Bishop, you know, one of our uh, uh, most revered poets, uh, when I show my students a poem by Elizabeth Bishop, and I'll say, you know how long that took for me to write that poem? And they're like, oh, five years, six years, trying to be generous. So, no, that was 22 years. That took Elizabeth Bishop to write that poem. You know, because she really spent decades on her work. Uh, most of us are very impatient, and I think that with publishing and, and with um, this need to, to build a professional life, I mean, Elizabeth Bishop spent like, like 15 years outside of the United States, so that probably helped, sort of removed herself from that, from that world. Mm -hmm. But we live in a world right now where everything is so immediate, right? Everything is like, oh, Facebook, Twitter, and I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter, so I'm, I, I know what that's like. It's so immediate that we, I think we're forgetting that when it comes to crafting our art, I mean, there has to be a, we have to remember that we have to have patience and we have to uh, be critical of ourselves and not just be, not, not just compliment ourselves because we, we write on the computer and it already looks perfect. Because look at this, it's like there's, there's, it looks like a perfect page already. You know, but no, it's just, it's just words on the, on the screen. I mean, to reread and reread it is something that's necessary when, when, I'm, when I'm writing uh, prose. Um, and no, I'm never happy. I'm, obs I'm obsessed with it constantly. Uh, I think that uh, recently I've, 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 I think I'm writing a little bit faster because I'm, I'm writing my 16th books. So I think I'm a little more practice, experience. But my students, I said, no, you know, you should not write, you know, don't publish until you spend 10 years on something. No, they won't listen to me, but I will have to give them the advice anyway, you know. That's the nature of being a student. That's right. If I recall my own uh, undergraduate uh, days, I, I was fortunate as I mentioned earlier in that I did not get a degree in creative writing which is not to put down anybody who who does take that time but 
I did have some awfully good teachers. I would take a one-week workshop with an excellent teacher maybe once a year. Sometimes I couldn't get off from my full-time job. I'd take a workshop once every two years. Uh, but I would do something every day. I would go to the library and Xerox a poem or uh, get a literary journal. I think it's very important for all of us as ongoing s students of the writing craft and I hope we have many uh, writers and people who want to write here, it's very important to uh, really think about the word ponder, to think deeply, to pick up that book of poetry you either like or don't like and think, why is this line break here? Why is this paragraph break here? Uh, in a memoir, why did this author choose... To, to spend this extra time and energy with these descriptors, these adjectives at this place, how does that change the direction of the reader's attention? So what you have to do if you want to be a, a, a writer is you have to convert from reading as a reader to reading as a writer. And uh, that's very, very important and very crucial because, some I mean, there were questions I, I would ask experienced poetry teachers when I was learning and they, they couldn't explain it in a way that made sense to me. And maybe I would need to ask that question over a period of three or four years to five or six different teachers before it would finally click. And you've got to be that persistent, just like those of you who are engineers, who are teachers, who are, you know, whatever it is, you librarians, whatever, you know, you've got to keep that that persistence and that willingness to exist in the tension of the unknowns. That's really important for those of you. Um, I always think of the, the symbol of the crucible from medieval times. You've got to be the vessel that can hold not only the, the material that's going to be transformed, but can hold the heat from the outside that's going to transform the material. So you have to be the crucible your, your, your questioning, your strength, your mind, whatever it is, your heart and soul, you have to be the crucible that's going to hold the unanswered questions and subject them to the heat of your deep thinking and questing, maybe for years. Thank you. Now, uh, in your memoirs, of course, you're writing about yourself and others. Um, do you... Do you like ask permission if you're revealing something uh, about folks, or do you just kind of throw it out there and um, wait for them to react and read? No, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't ask permission. Uh, you know, it, well, I, sh I shouldn't just make a blanket statement. You know, some of my students, when when they do talk about this, and they say, "Well, I'm going to call home and I'm going to ask for verification." I said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, it's your memory, your experience. If you add more people to it, then they're co-writing." And also, there's, I'm sure everybody here can relate. There's nothing like inviting your family to make sure that it goes completely wrong, you know? As much as we love them, as much as we appreciate them, I mean, you start, you know, whatever conversation at the table, and next thing you know, there's a disagreement, and you're never going to come to any kind of consensus. Even if, so that's, that's just the reality of, of, of us as humans. So you know, when I set out to write a, a, a memoir, um, I lost both my parents at a very young age, so for me it was recovering their, their memory and their journeys. But it wasn't important for me to at least tell my brother, you know, tell my brother that I was, that I was writing this, this book because he was part of that journey. 
And I remember, um, I just kind of mentioned it to her. I said, you know, I'm working on this, and, and you'll be the first one to read it. So when Butterfly Boy, my first memoir, came out in 2006, I sent him a copy, and I said, here it is. It's going to be out in the world in two months, so here is, here is the book. And for two weeks, my brother did not talk to me, and, which is rare because we, we speak to each other on the phone almost twice a week, we ha- ever since we, uh, since we were teenagers. So for two weeks, it was a, a silence. So I was really devastated by this. So finally, you know, uh, I reached him and I said, you know, Alex, you know, what happened? You know, I told you it was, it was, I was going to write this and I told you that, you know, I was going to try to keep you out of it as much as I could because it, it's, it's about me. And I said, well, that's why. What do you mean that's why? I should have been part of it more of this moment. Where am I? I'm hardly there in this book, you know. Next time you better make sure that I'm in that book. I said, okay, well, who knew? Who knew? But, um, but other than that, I think that you know, the responsibility is, is to your story. That's why it's a memoir. There's one author. One author to the book. And I, I agree completely. And I think this particular question is a really good chance to uh, explore a couple things that we've mentioned before as panelists, which is that you know, memoir, it, it, it's not autobiography. You don't start, I was born on such and such day and such and such month and you know my mother was beautiful and my father was handsome and then then I became beautiful and handsome or whatever you know each memoir has a story to tell so any one of us who are writers could write 10 different memoirs that talk about the facet or story I could write this memoir talks about uh, a lot of spiritual um, phenomena that happened in my family and it also is an attempt to retrieve the unconscious lives of myself and my parents. But I could write a memoir about myself as the girl who always wanted to be a boy and always wanted to be a soldier and eventually became a warrior, which in America we call them cops, you know. And I could write a different memoir about my life as a daughter. I could write a different memoir about my life as you know, a faculty member or whatever. Uh, heaven forbid, I would never do that. But anyway. <laughs> kind of boring, I don't know. I would get, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would get assassinated. But, um, you know, so we each have all these different facets and memoirs. You choose the facet you wish to focus on and, and write your memoir there. Now, Philip Lopate, who is, has a wonderful column in, in the magazine called Creative Nonfiction, which features a lot of memoir pieces and a re- traditional essay, has a column in there, and, and uh, sometime in the past two years, he, he wrote extensively about the ethics of memoir. And one of the reasons, one of the things he said is, you cannot find the answer to the ethical question about what you should write or not write outside of yourself. You can't find the answer to that in a teacher, in a, a professor, in a confidant, etc. You have to go inside yourself and determine what are your own personal ethics, the whys and wherefores, and then go back to the, the truth to the story that, that we've been discussing. And I think that's sort of, sort of brilliant. And we, you always have to remember readers are more sophisticated than they think you are. So... If you're writing a memoir to get revenge on your brother, mother, ex-husband, whatever, you know, that's going to come across, and readers are going to just put the book down. And they're going to think, wow, I can't believe I wasted my money on this. 
Thank you. Um, I don't know how we're doing for time, but would you be comfortable? Um, about with, 20 minutes. Okay. Would you be comfortable with some questions from the audience? Sure, from okay. the audience. Now, if, there you go. I have a question about memoir. So when you're crafting your own memoirs, even if it's just in a vein, a specific aspect of your life, how do you take those memories that are very disconnected and make them into a narrative? And how free can that narrative be? Can it be very disjointed, or do you think that a successful memoir has to have a very clear mm -hmm. beginning, middle, and end, as though it was fiction mm -hmm. story? Mm -hmm. Question was about crafting memoir and how, perhaps, it, perhaps in a in a as somebody piecing together different episodes or different um, uh, memories, how do, how does that? What are the responsibilities of that memoir? Should that memoir have a beginning, middle, and end? Should it have a linearity? You know, the interesting thing is that the memoirs, is, it's, it's not a new field, but this, it's a wonderful playing field. And there's so many ways to, to approach it. Um, as, as Sada very correctly stated, it's not a life story. It's a, it's a journey. And we have many journeys in our lives. So one thing is to, to try to narrow down the material is to, to decide what kind of journey are you writing about. The, and, and sometimes the journey is limited by... Uh, the, the space you occupied, meaning from, or, or, or a certain number of years. My first memoir, I went from the year I was born to the, when I'm 19, but I was writing it in my 30s, right? And the second memoir, I cover the same territory, and the third one, I'm going to write about my 30s. So I, that's how I limited, you know, the one way of limiting it. But in one memoir, The Out of My Hungers, it's a whole bunch of different episodes, and they're all thematically linked. Like the, the, the general theme is hunger. And, it, and so hunger, exploring hunger in, in what ways? The hunger for the body, the, hunger, the, the physical hunger, sexual hunger, the hunger for imagination, the hunger for attention. So I explored the theme of hunger in so many different ways. But there are a couple of memoirs out there that don't work linearly. They're more experimental. They're fragmented. So they also, you know, so there's, there's many models out there. So for you, I would suggest that you certainly do a survey. I mean, read a couple of, of memoirs that show different kinds of structures and which one do you feel, which one do you feel is going to speak to you? Which one is going to help you create a kind of, of story? Because there has to be a story. It can't just be like a collection of, right? What is the story at the end? You know, what is the story? People are not going to be particular about beginning, middle, or end. I think that's just the, the, the every book looks like it, it should have one because we read it in, in this chronological order, page one, or page two after page one, and page three after page two, and so forth. But there's so many ways to experiment and to, and to break away from that. And it still can be a cohesive memoir. So my advice is to really explore and, and read as many as you can. I mean, that's the way I, I learned. I've never took a class in memoir writing. I just learned by reading memoirs. And here's just a little PS, because I agree with everything Rigo says. I was told early on, and I have come now, been writing long enough and teaching long enough, I believe this is true. Someone once told me, teacher of writing I respect, said, you know, you're going to spend the first 10 years learning your craft. You know, how to write dialogue, how to move scene to summary, how to, you know, do the craft aspects of good writing. It takes everybody about 10 years. So a fiction writer, 10 years, a memoir writer, 10 years, a poet, 10 years. Then he said, then you're going to get to the really, really interesting questions, which is the question of form which is a question you, you ask and has been answered very beautifully. So push through that reading. Keep, keep writing because in the writing, the deeper you go without being self-indulgent, 
the more rewarding your writing is going to be for the reader because a payoff in essay and memoir is a form of personal essay is getting the reader getting to know the writer. That is a payoff. It's a clear, definable, beautiful, radiant payoff. So we as memoir writers have to, to go deep. Oh, wow, thank you. That was a great question. We'll continue with Growing Up Latino in the United States memoirs from the 2014 Festival of Books here on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Does anyone else have a question? Would you like to come up? Do you Should have any questions that I didn't ask that you are Wait, dying to answer? Here's, a, que- here's a question. It's our plant. Hey, Danny. Yes. We're ready for you guys. One of the thing, one of the reasons why I don't write memoirs is because I don't want readers of my fiction and poetry to say, "Oh, I now I know exactly where you're coming from." Yeah, I can peg everything. Okay, and and I like the mystery. So, can you address that question? You know, it's so interesting because when people read fiction, they always want to find out what's true, and then when they read nonfiction, they want to find out what's not true, what's been made up. It's a really weird, strange conundrum, right? And I think that there's overlap. You know, there's overlap all the time. Um, and, and if somebody wants to go ahead and read all my books, I hope they Yay. bought them first, you know. Yay, yeah. And they want to do a survey and do a, I don't know, uh, a self-study or an examination, I mean, go right ahead. But in the end, I'm not sure what benefit that would be to anybody. You know, uh, um, sort of like my interviews, you know, when, when I'm interviewed now and somebody references an interview from 10 years ago, but... Ten years ago, you said this, and I said, "You know what? We change, we grow. You know, I have, you know, there's, I have less hair, so I'm crankier. You know, I weigh more, so I'm, you know, definitely, you know, upset in the mornings. You know, I, I change my diet. I mean, I, I'm, I change. So along with all that, you know, some, it's not that I'm not true to my convictions, but I believe that even as a human being, that I'm learning." that I'm overcoming some of my own prejudices, that I'm overcoming some of my anxieties. So we are changing. So my answer is mostly, mostly my, my, my beliefs and my value system have stayed firm, but I'm growing. And I hope that, I'm be, that the person I am today is a much better person than 10 years ago. So in terms of the memoir, you know, because another, another question I get asked is why I go back to, to my childhood. Did you already write that book? Well, here's the other thing that many of you will understand, that the older they get, the more we remember. Who knew? I wish, you know, for a long time I thought, God, if I knew I was going to write about my family, I would have paid more attention, you know. But <laughs> thankfully, I remember, the older I get, the more I remember, right? So, so now, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, you know, the long-term, it's a short-term memory. I can't tell you where I left my, my phone or my keys, but... I can tell you what happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and that's fantastic. That's called dementia. Oh, is it? (laughs) No, I'm teasing, of course. Um, You know, and I think this question, Danielle, who, by the way, is a fabulous writer with his own career, Danielle Olivas, that we're lucky enough to have here in Tucson at this fabulous book fair. Um, I encourage you to attend all his performances. Uh, panels Um, you know I guess it's sort of a worldwide phenomenon maybe not that this idea about celebrity status you know like that people you know people devour these photos of you know some actresses you know private parts and so forth 
you know, and, and they think, does this mean you know all about her? Well, you know, some people think, yeah, you know, or, or you read something about who she's dating or who he's dating or whatever. And whether they're athletes, uh, of course, writers, you know, we're more important than all those people. But um, uh, we're such celebrities. But, no, the, you know, I think... Uh, I think it's always wise for us to recall when we're looking at somebody who's an accomplished writer or accomplished anything that they are a complex, a deeply complex, multifaceted individual. We all have, I believe, I think, uh, contradictions. We have Mm -hmm. moments of integrity. We have moments of failure. We have moments where we rise to the high road and moments where we sort of wobble along the low road. And so there are many, many complexities in our lives. And so if, does, if someone reads this or these books, they're going to know some of that. They're not going to know it all because it's impossible. Think how hard it is for all of us just to know exactly who we are as individuals and human beings. We spend our whole lives yeah. sometimes trying to understand ourselves. Yeah, that was an interesting outcome, you know, when people read Butterfly Boy and they would, send, they would tell me, oh, you know, I feel like I know you. And that was so weird because I presented a portrait, I presented a part of me. I said, well, you know a little bit of me, a little bit about my history, but I'm not sure that you know me. Uh, that, was, that was very, very strange. But, and also, but one thing I did like about readers and people that read my work is that for a long time, you know, I struggled so much with my, with my father and with, with a relationship, the restrained relationship that we had. And that book, I thought I presented a very, uh, I thought, a very negative representation of my father. But then people would start telling me, oh, it's, it's so clear that you, that you loved your father. And that, was, that, that just threw me for a loop because I had no idea that that was in there. So I'm glad that, that the writing, the process, and this person that we become when we write because we have to really separate so much of, of the outside world and, so, and, and we have to really shape our imaginations and our, and our experience when we write, that I'm glad that that somehow came through. So now, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and my relationship with my father, even though he hasn't been with me for a very long time, changes as I grow older. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another one. I'm glad, you know, I, this is what the, people tell you when you're young, this is going to happen and you never believe them, right? right? So somebody always told me, you're going to love, your, you're going to forgive your father. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to forgive him ever, ever, ever. And now in my 40s, I'm like, I forgive my father. You know? So it's great, you know. So again, and that, that comes with the complexity, you know, that we change and we're complex and that we keep discovering parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Anything that you published that you kind of regret having said now, now that you've changed? Um, are you okay with that? forever eternally being what it is and if nobody else reads anything else that's the only perception they they've got now they, they won't have your 10 year later <laughs> perception uh, wisdom and all that um, is anything hard to look back at and do you cringe no I mean I I'm I think the the question is is there anything I've written that I look back on and wish I had not written and uh, no I mean I have What's more important to me um, is a future. I have so many things I wish to write and so many projects, so many anthologies I wish to edit and so many books I want to write. And, you know, I just, there's never enough time. There's never, ever enough time. Yeah, I don't believe in mistakes. I just believe in decisions. I believe in choices. 
And, uh, and, and all those steps, all those books, all those times that I opened my mouth, that was just a, a one stepping stone to, to where I am today. And I, again, I hope that, I, that I'm, the, I'm the best person that I am today, but I hope that that doesn't mean that that's it, that I reach the end of the, of the line. I hope that tomorrow I'm a better person. And so I give readers and I give you know, people the benefit of the doubt, and I believe that readers are intelligent. I believe people are smart. So when they see something that's you know, from 1980s, they're not gonna, I'm, I'm not frozen in time. I moved with time. Right? I move with time. So they're not going to say, oh, this is, this is who you are, uh, this, this person in 1986. No, I mean, we, we, we keep reinventing, we keep reimagining ourselves. And I do believe that the, that the readers that I write to, that I, re that I reach toward, are the smart ones, they're intelligent ones, who understand that that part of complexity, that they share that complexity with me. That when they see that, I, that if I'm angry in one book, if I'm upset in another one, if I'm joyful in another, that's a range of human emotion that they share with me. So we move forward together. So no regrets. I like that. I like that. Um, Zero would like to read a poem for us. This is a very short poem, and it is a poem <clears throat> that sort of summarizes this entire book. And now that my voice has come back, <laughs> as I've been helped uh, with that, I'd like to, to just very, very short read it for you. And it's a title poem of the volume, Walking Home. I know who and what will be there when I arrive. Mom chopping for dinner, attic fan cooling, small white dog, tail furled, barking. Daddy will come home. At dinner, I'll drink two glasses of ice-cold milk. We'll talk. I'll fall asleep beneath saints' smiles after homework, dishwashing, praying on knees. I cannot go back. Can you? Can you walk home? Everyone dead or simply grown up. Remember each detail, its beauty. Survive the memory, its nearness. Walk yourself home, then back here again. Thank you. And, and who among us thought they didn't like poetry? <laughs> You've been listening to Growing Up Latino in the United States, memoirs from the 2014 Festival of Books. Our guests today were Red Inked Retablos author Rigoberto Gonzalez and Walking Home Growing Up Hispanic in Houston author Sarah Cortez, reading from their memoirs and discussing how their writing chronicles cultural and spiritual heritages, identities, and personal journeys. The panel was moderated by Toby Weiner. This panel was hosted by the Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices Tent, at the Festival of Books. Nuestras Raices' mission is celebrating Mexican-American authors, arts, and culture. This has been part two of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.